Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Uh, my name's Joe Beamer. We've got one segment left, and we are bringing the editor-in-chief of Raw Story, Dave Leventhal. Dave, I know uh, that's your favorite spot, so we always make sure we play it right before you're on the air. <laughs> well, thank you. I, I appreciate uh, all that you do for me, Joe. Uh, as a Buffalo, uh, as a, a, a son of Buffalo, before we get into the seriousness here, uh, yesterday was National Wing Day. When you come home, what wing do you have to go get? I mean, that's pretty serious as far as uh, Buffalonians go. I mean, look, I, I am actually uh, – Anchor Bar is still – and I know this is an unpopular opinion – is my favorite chicken wing in Buffalo. Gabriel's Gate is a very close second. I know a lot of uh, Duff's fans are probably listening right now. And, you know, it's kind of choosing between, you know, the the, the best the, the best plus and the best plus plus. So you, you can't lose any way you go. No, Duff's and Duff's blue cheese is uh, top of my list. Treated myself last night with some Duff's wings. Uh, Dave, it's been uh, – I said this at the beginning of the show. So much happened in Washington this week. You could write a book on it. And it oh, might, yeah. And it might be a bestseller. <laughs> Or two or three or ten, and, and, and people will. So don't worry about that. But, you know, it, it, living here in Washington, you, you kind of ask yourself the question at the beginning of, of every week, especially when you're in journalism or in politics, which is like, all right, is this week, how could it possibly be crazier than the last one that we just went through? And uh, we've kind of been doing that for about eight or nine years right now. But, yeah, last week was extraordinary for reasons I suspect we're going to get into very shortly. And let's start with the uh, the first one. We'll, we'll go in order that they happened. Uh, we'll start with Hunter Biden, uh, you know, the son of the president. He had this plea deal uh, that was understood, and then the plea deal fell apart in Delaware. And, uh, Dave, how does this play out in D.C. politics? A couple of different ways. Well, let's first focus on the deal itself. This deal kind of seemed a little squicky from the beginning, and that there were some interesting provisions in it, not the least of which was the notion that Hunter Biden wouldn't face potential future prosecution. And the judge involved in the case, a U.S. district judge, she's a Trump appointee but had the strong backing of Democrats when she was appointed in 2018 – she basically said, ah, no, I don't like this. This is not something that seems to be right and something that I can abide. So there's going to be a delay, and it's quite possible that there could be a new plea deal. It's quite possible that this could go to trial. And as it's playing in Washington, well, anytime you're mentioning Hunter Biden, you're men- mentioning Joe Biden. And uh, Joe Biden's press secretary, uh, Karine Jean-Pierre, was asked the question directly last week. 
is Joe Biden going to consider pardoning Hunter Biden if ultimately he is convicted of either misdemeanors or felonies in this matter? And she just said flat out no. So if you take her and you take the president uh, at their word, Hunter Biden is going to have to go through this trial and and his tribulations on his own. And there's going to be no safety net from the White House for him. You know, Dave, uh, something that, you know, I don't think was talked about as much before. But when this plea deal fell apart, you did see the networks picking up on it. And maybe these are unrelated, but it does seem like in the last few weeks we've heard more and more Democrats say, "Eh, you know what, maybe someone else should be running for 2024. For, for president, I presume you're saying. Yes, yes, sorry, yes. Yeah, well, in, you know, this is an issue, uh, an intramural issue within the Democratic Party that has frankly been going on since Joe Biden won the presidency, even before that. Is he going to be a caretaker president? Is he going to be there for four years and then pass a torch to somebody else, whoever that might be? Vice President Kamala Harris, Secretary of Transportation Pete Buttigieg, Gavin Newsom, the the governor of California, you, you could go on and on. But the fact of the matter is Joe Biden is running for re-election, and Joe Biden is almost certainly going to win the Democratic Party nomination, despite the fact that he does have at least some token or even not so token opposition in the sense that Marianne Williamson, who ran in 2020, she's running again, but her campaign is kind of imploding right now. RFK Jr., Robert F. Kennedy Jr., is, is really the, the great curiosity here in the sense that he's attracting at least some measure of support from Democrats and also, to some interest from Republicans and independents, too. Is he going to, with the way that the rules are and the way that money works in politics, somehow going to beat Joe Biden in a Democratic presidential primary? Absolutely not. It's something catastrophic would have to happen. Joe Biden would have to step away in, in order for somebody not named Joe Biden to uh, to win the Democratic nomination. But he's definitely causing Joe Biden some trouble. And uh, also, to Joe Biden, his poll numbers, his popularity right now, it's not very good. And it, RFK Jr. has the ability in a very significant and notable way to potentially further weaken Joe Biden and even embarrass him if he was to win a couple of states or, or do something of that sort during the Democratic primary process. And and Joe Biden is going to be facing a Republican nominee in perhaps even a worse position than he would have been otherwise. Of course, this is all a year away, and, and so much can happen between now and then. But at least looking at it at this juncture, Joe, it, it's not exactly the greatest picture for Joe Biden as we speak. Well, as we go from a current president uh, whose approval rating is down and whose members of party are saying maybe shouldn't run, how about a former president whose approval rating is not the best and uh, there are members of his party saying he shouldn't run uh he is now facing another indictment but before that dave uh there were some charges added to a previous indictment exactly so that that 37 down in florida has uh, gone up by a couple of ticks and this is just going to be a drumbeat that we are going to be talking about for months and months and months probably years and donald trump already facing dozens of federal charges and charges in new york New York City, New York State. And and then we're expecting fully in the next couple of weeks, it could be even sooner than that, that two other shoes are going to drop. One, again, at the federal level, and this is going to deal specifically with uh, what Donald Trump did in, in terms of the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol and the uh, overall 
uh, ability of him to affect the uh, outcome of the 2020 election after the votes were cast and what he did or did not do in order to try to turn the election his way after Joe Biden had won it. And then the other situation is playing out in Fulton County, Georgia, where the uh, the sort of starring issue there is the phone call that Donald Trump had with the Secretary of State of Georgia, uh, also too, to, uh, in an attempt to overturn the results of that election. So bottom line, Donald Trump could be looking at felony charges in four different venues. We're not talking about two trials here. We're talking potentially about three or four. And there's even bubbling up of issues in Arizona that, that are going on, too. So this is going to be a massive legal cloud that hangs over Donald Trump for as long as Donald Trump is in politics and probably then so. And with all that, uh, right now still leading the uh, GOP field, but as you mentioned, we, you know, uh, Jeb Bush was leading uh, this time in 2015. Uh, where in that GOP field, we are starting to hear some candidates speak out against the former president. Yeah, and, and, and this is the big question right now. You, you've got a dozen plus different people who are running against Donald Trump, but almost all of those candidates who are running against Donald Trump are not yet really running against Donald Trump. They're running against Joe Biden. They're running against the Democrats. They're running against Kamala Harris, in the case of Ron DeSantis, the Florida governor lately. And they're, they're running against, uh, you know, in, in a way, the people who are, in their estimation, trying to harm Donald Trump. But they're not running against Donald Trump. They're not attacking Donald Trump. They're not going after the former president. They're not calling him out for what they see to be a, a certain unfitness to serve as the Republican nominee in 2024 or even president of the United States for a second term. And if they're serious about winning, if they actually want to beat Donald Trump, if they're if they're having any expectations that they are going to be the 2024 nominee, they're going to have to do that at some point. Chris Christie is really sort of the only candidate who is on the debate stage, which is very important, coming next month for the first Republican debate, who has been overtly critical of Donald Trump. Everyone else has pulled their punches in a massive way. And the question then for the context of the debate is, is that going to change? And I would suspect that, yes, it, it will, regardless of whether Donald Trump is even on that stage, Joe. And that's an open question right now as to whether the former president is going to participate in that first debate or whether he's going to skip it. He's definitely entitled to be there. He has crossed all the thresholds very easily and first for getting on that stage for poll numbers, for fundraising numbers, uh, all the things you got to do in order to get on that stage. But he may just sit this one out and... Uh, you know, here we are in NFL season talking about holdouts and whatnot. I mean, Donald Trump may be the, the ultimate holdout, at least in the context of the political game. Speaking of that uh, stage, Dave, we learned a few more names got on that stage. But the way these candidates are doing it, uh, I've seen this more and more on Instagram. I don't know why Instagram other than, you know, X, Facebook. Uh, threats. I've seen it on Instagram, and that is candidates giving $20 gift cards for a $1 donation. I have to assume that is to help them get on the GOP debate stage. It is absolutely about that, Joe. The the system that has been put in place, uh, let's just say it's very easily gamed. And and that's in the eyes of Republicans or, or the Republican leadership and brass. Not necessarily a bad thing, because there, there's a a big upside to that, which I'll get to in a second. But let's just go through very quickly who's on that stage. We already got Donald Trump. Ron DeSantis is on the stage. 
Senator Tim Scott. We mentioned Chris Christie, Nikki Haley, the former governor of South Carolina and U.N. ambassador under Donald Trump. She will be on the stage. Uh, Doug Burgum, not exactly a household name, but he is the governor of North Dakota. He is also going to be on the stage. And then uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, the uh, very, very wealthy businessman who's got an interesting Buffalo tie-in, and that Stefan Mihailu, who, uh, of course, is well-known in Buffalo political circles, serving as, as his spokesperson. So he's also made the debate stage. So we've got seven candidates who are definitely going to be there Uh you might be like, well, wait, 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 isn't Mike Pence running for president? He has not yet made the debate stage. Quite possible that he will. He's got the poll numbers for it, but he doesn't yet have the requisite number of individual donors, which is 40,000. Plus, among those 40,000, you got to get 200 from 20 individual states. That, that's, the tech, uh, that's the technical fine print there to get on the debate stage. He hasn't done that. Asa Hutchinson, who former governor of Arkansas, hasn't gotten it, in addition to several other kind of very, very, very long shot candidates, Will Hurd, Francis Suarez, the, uh, the mayor of Miami, Terry Johnson, Larry Elder, and a few others. They are not right now on that stage. Is there a tiebreaker? Like if it gets to a certain number of people who hit what you just said, is there then a second level to not have it so crowded? Not at the moment. And in, in, I'm glad you brought that up because that was something that, that has happened in previous presidential go-arounds where you, you sort of had the main event and then you had the kids' table debate or, or the, the opening card or whatever you want to call it. And that, that in a way, was uh, not very helpful for those who uh, didn't, didn't make the big show. So nobody was able to really break through in, in a major way. So it's uh, one debate at this point, but there are going to be multiple debates and if it came to pass that you had 12, 13, 14 different candidates on the Republican side who had qualified, then perhaps there would be a a different way of handling this. I should note that we're not talking about Democratic debates because there are no Democratic debates right now. Joe Biden has said uh, that he is not going to debate, that there are no debates that have been scheduled by the party. So the idea of RFK Jr. and Joe Biden going head to head on a debate stage, that, that's a pipe dream right now and almost certainly not going to happen between now and when the primaries begin in January and earnest. Dave, let's uh, focus on Congress, who uh, just left for recess without coming to an agreement on the budget, which means we could have another showdown when they return. <laughs> we are uh, almost certainly going to have another showdown. We're always getting showdowns with Congress because. Congress is just that working that way, uh, which in the estimation of lots of people is not working hard at all. And, and part of that is we have a divided Congress. We have Democrats controlling the Senate. We have Republicans controlling the House. Everything is hard. That has been the case all throughout history when you have a divided government of that sort. But it's particularly hard now when there is so little goodwill to go around. There is so little bipartisan action to be had. And the notion of doing very, very big things in Congress, or for that matter, Joe, even small things, it it can can just seem like a bridge too far. And it almost takes, uh, in every case where something ultimately does happen, and we can think back just a few months to the debt ceiling debate that, that was going on, that it, it takes almost a catastrophic level of crisis in order for the two sides to come together on, on anything of note. So, you know, short of it uh, or, you know, and anything short of uh, 
Tony Bennett Day or having a post office renamed. It's just a really, really difficult thing for the two sides to come together and agree on anything, Joe. Well, interesting. So they get uh, it's just a month off, seven weeks. How long is this recess before they're back in uh, doing their job? Yeah, it must be nice. I, I suspect we'd all love to have August off, and it's not entirely to fair, fair to members of Congress to say they're going to be off for that time. They're going to be back in their districts. They're going to be campaigning. They, they have a lot of them have town halls, so they're going to be doing things. They're just not going to be doing them in Washington, and they need to be in Washington in order to pass laws, to get bills done, to make big decisions on behalf of the American people who have sent them to Washington, D.C. to do the people's business. So we're not going to see them pretty much uh, until school's starting back up and NFL football's kicking off and September is upon us. Yes, hopefully in their, their time off they'll make appearances on Hardline. But, you know, uh, that's just <laughs> wishful thinking. Um, what other Congress, before they left for recess, uh, we did see talk of an impeachment inquiry. Obviously, it didn't go anywhere before recess, but how real are these talks that we uh, heard Kevin McCarthy comment on? Yeah, it, it, it's so there, there's a couple of different uh, in, impeachment uh, competing bills, uh, and it, it's, it's going to be talked about. It, it seems to not be dead on arrival in the Republican House, but it doesn't seem to be a priority in a way that, frankly, a lot of Republicans would like it to be. And uh, Joe Biden, in essence, is being accused by many of, uh, of basically being uh, intertwined with Hunter Biden's allegedly criminal dealings. Uh, and, and there's a whole variety of, uh, of different points of intrigue that go into that. But even though there have been articles of impeachment that have been offered up and drafted, this is not something that has been priority number one, two, or all the way down to seven, eight, or nine for Republicans, even though it's getting a lot of attention. Anytime you're talking about impeaching a president of the United States, of course, that's going to get attention. But it also needs to get votes. And the Republicans would effectively need every single member of the Republican Party on the U.S. House side to cross that 50 percent threshold. Sure, they got the majority, but it's the slimmest of majorities. Of course, no Democrats are going to go along with it. But there are a number of Republicans right now who have expressed either skepticism or uh, out, outright disinterest in going forward with an impeachment process. So that's kind of where we're at right now. That could change. We'll see what happens in September. But this is a non-issue, at least at the moment, in the sense that Congress just isn't here. And that's another thing that they cannot do and will not be doing. So much more I wanted to ask you about, Dave, but I'm going to leave with, with the, this last one because it's something you and I have talked about before. You've done um, uh, reporting on this, and that is the age in Washington. We saw it in play again this week. Mitch McConnell, 81, freezing up in the middle of a press conference. Still don't know what happened. And then Diane Feinstein uh, thinking she was supposed to be giving a speech. Uh, instead, she was to give a vote, and her aide was telling her how to vote it just puts another exclamation point on the age of some of our leaders in Washington. We have the oldest president in history. We will have the quite possibly the oldest two candidates ever to go against each other, beating the mark four years ago if Donald Trump and Joe Biden are running against each other. And Congress is the oldest Congress that we've ever had right now in the here and now. So put that all together and, and that paints a picture of in a way, the, the gerontocracy of the United States, uh, the rule by people who are much older than the population that they represent. And I should note that 
uh, my reporting with a bunch of my colleagues at uh, where I uh, was before Raw Story at Insider. We did a whole project that was 35 parts long about this very topic. And I think one thing that was compelling to note is that the gap between those who are leading and those who are being led is also at its widest. Now, this is not a criticism on people's ability to do great work and important work and be great leaders when they're in their 60s, 70s, 80s, or whatnot. Um, But what it does show is that when you look at the long arc of U.S. history, going, frankly, all the way back to the beginning of the country, that we're in a different place with those who are leading and those who are being led when it comes to age than we've ever been. It's different. And what we're seeing sometimes is some high-profile incidences where, uh, or incidents where you have concerns about the people who are in these great positions of power and their ability to lead. So is anything going to happen immediately about it? Are there going to be age caps for members of Congress? Are you going to have to step away after a certain period of time? Probably not, but this is getting talked about, I think, now today because of everything that has happened with Joe Biden and Donald Trump and the members of Congress that you've just said. And could probably tick off another 20, 30 of them for you just off the top of my head where voters are like, huh, I, is, is this really where we want to be when it comes to the leadership of the country? And it also speaks to policy, too. Priorities that if you're in your 70s or your 80s, you might have that would be different or, or different views that you have than if somebody is in their 20s or 30s or, or whatnot. It makes you wonder. I asked uh, Kevin Harvick this question last hour, but it makes you wonder, you know, uh, Clinton, Bush, Obama, all under the age of 55 when they were first elected. Um, But then you have Trump and Biden. You look at Congress, you look at Senate. Is it a generation not wanting to let go of power? It just, it seems like this is a new phenomenon. Yes and no, uh, but definitely something that is uh, going back pretty much for the past decade has been a bigger phenomenon than it's really ever been in modern U.S. history. And, And you have somebody like, a Nikki Haley, who's going to be up on that debate stage, who's actually made the case that very directly she feels like the government's too old and she wants fresher blood. She's somebody who's in her early 50s, and she has even proposed having a basically mental capability tests for leaders after a certain age in their 70s. Again, that's a non-starter, but this is something that wasn't being talked about in, in those terms at all, even just a couple of years ago, and is today. So when you get into a debate, that might be a very interesting point of argument against Donald Trump, who is himself 77 years old, coming from some of the younger members of the Republican Party who uh, want to want to take that torch, want to take that banner and run with it because they feel like they represent the, the next generation of the Republican Party and, and not Donald Trump. Dave, I'm sure everything we talked about today, we will be talking about again in the very near future. Uh, Dave Leventhal, editor-in-chief from Red, uh, from Raw Story, sorry, uh, he is not going on recess, and you will be able to hear him at 6.50 Tuesday with Susan and Brian. Dave, have yourself a great Sunday afternoon. You too, and thank you. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.